It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show, live from New York City. Glad to have you all on board every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. The podcast is free, on demand, and growing in popularity. Thank you for that. GuyBensonShow.com. I'm here in New York because I'll be on Gutfeld tonight. I hear the panel is going to be a very fun group of people. I can't wait. 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Fox News Channel. Don't miss it. On today's show, here's the lineup on the radio side. Jesse Waters in studio later this hour, co-host of The Five. A lot to talk about with him. Chad Pergram will also join us from Capitol Hill. Here's a question that we sort of posed to Brett Bayer earlier in the week. Are Democratic leaders on Capitol Hill... On both sides, House and Senate, are they in actual danger of the Biden agenda falling apart completely? Could their efforts to spend a lot more money fail because of bickering and internal internecine fighting within their caucuses? The answer is maybe. And it's not just sort of like a fake Potemkin maybe when it comes to D.C. drama. It's a real maybe with threats that are ratcheting up from the progressives, and from the moderates. Chad will break it down for us. Congressman Tony Gonzalez from Texas will also be here. He represents one of the biggest districts along the southern border in the entire United States. He will tell us exactly what the truth is about the southern border because he knows it because he lives it and he represents it. And in our final hour, U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee on China on Israel and Iron Dome and the disgraceful betrayal of Israel by House progressives yesterday. They got their way. She'll weigh in on that. Plus, if we have time, I'm sure she has thoughts on the border as well. So we are stacked here on the Guy Benson Show today. Let's start with a Fox News alert. Statistics. COVID statistics in the United States confirmed cases all in 42.4 million And for reasons that we explain on a daily basis, that official number is artificially very low. The death toll is now 678,557. More than 2,000 Americans died of COVID yesterday. 2,000. Again, we're back over the 2,000 mark. And almost all of those people were unvaccinated. These are needless, senseless deaths. The Dow, meanwhile, is rebounding today, up 353 points at this hour to 34,280. We begin with an Associated Press story that I want to read to you at some length. It's about the southern border. It's about the crisis in Del Rio and this huge onslaught of illegal immigrants, in this case, specifically from Haiti. We know already that the numbers in August were again north of 200,000 officially. Those are the encounters 
that the U.S. logged, then there are tens of thousands of known gotaways, detected people who we didn't have the resources to stop, and then an unknown number of undetected gotaways. I mean, it's just completely out of control. We told you earlier in the week, for context, 1.2 million border encounters officially so far since Biden took office. More than 1.2 million. Hundreds of thousands of people higher than the entire population of President Biden's own home state of Delaware. Now, what about this crisis in Del Rio, right? Sort of this microcosm of the larger problem, this involving a lot of these Haitians. We dealt yesterday at some length with the lie, right? The folklore, the folktale about whipping, that our border agents were whipping these migrants with whips. And we explained that, in fact, there was no whipping and there were no whips. There were reins controlling horses and a bunch of D.C., New York journos who have no idea what they're talking about piling onto a fake story and making it go viral. And it's become a thing. We have sound of the vice president who came out of hiding to talk about it. But before I get to that, I want you to hear this. And before I read from the AP report, let's do a flashback all the way back to yesterday. The Secretary of Homeland Security in the Biden administration, Alejandro Mayorkas, warning illegal immigrants and talking specifically in Del Rio about this issue with this Haitian population of illegal immigrants. Here is what he said for the cameras, cut 38. If you come to the United States illegally, you will be returned. Your journey will not succeed and you will be endangering your life and your family's lives. This administration is committed to developing safe, orderly, and humane pathways for migration. But this is not the way to do it. You'll be stopped. You'll be sent back. Don't even think about it. You cannot do it this way. Is that true? Because the words of officials matter a lot less than the actual policy and the actions, which is exactly why we have the crisis that we have right now the policies and actions of the Biden administration. So let me read to you now, now that you've heard and been refreshed on that not terribly ancient warning from yesterday from Team Biden. Here's the reality. Those are the words. Here are the actions. Ready? Del Rio, Texas. That's the dateline. Associated Press. Many Haitian migrants camped in a small Texas border town are being released into the United States, two U.S. officials said, undercutting the Biden administration's public statements that the thousands in the camp faced immediate expulsion. Haitians have been freed on, quote, a very, very large scale in recent days, according to one of the officials, who put the figure in the thousands. By the way, I will pause from this AP story just for a moment because the White House was asked about the numbers today. They don't have any numbers. They're not giving us numbers on how many of these illegal immigrants have simply been released into the United States with some piece of paper telling them, oh, you got to show up for court down the line. They don't have numbers, just like they don't have numbers on Afghanistan, I'll remind you, which suggests to me that the numbers are bad. Because they're telling us what they're telling us, nope, this is what the border's closed, the border's secure, this is not allowed, we're going to get this thing under control. 
do not come. You will be forced to leave. It's very dangerous. Absolutely not. And then here's the AP story. We are releasing them by the thousands into the United States. It doesn't matter what Mallorca says. It doesn't matter what Harris says. It doesn't matter what Biden says. It matters what they're doing. And what they're doing is lying and hoping that their lies don't get much scrutiny as they release thousands of these illegal immigrants into the United States while suggesting for public consumption that they're not. But these officials are saying, actually, yes, that is happening on, quote, a very, very large scale, the figures in the thousands. That same official, now back to the story, who has direct knowledge of operations, was not authorized to discuss the matter Tuesday, spoke on condition of anonymity. Obviously, this is a leak. Many of these immigrants, these illegal immigrants, have been released with notices to appear at an immigration office within 60 days for processing. We know that in many cases, they don't show up. Right? This is not rocket science. We've seen this movie over and over again. Some do show up. Many don't. They get handed their papers saying, you know, please, here's your notice to report. And they say, OK, yes, thank you very much. Never to be heard from again. They are just here. This is not a way to run a country. This is not a way to enforce the sovereign laws of a sovereign country. The story goes on. A second U.S. official, also with direct knowledge and speaking on the condition of anonymity, said large numbers of Haitians were being processed under immigration laws and not being placed on expulsion flights to Haiti that started on Sunday. The official couldn't be more specific about how many. So remember, the Biden folks are saying, look at the airplane over there. We're putting some people on the airplane. We're flying them back to Haiti. They're doing it for some of them, but for thousands of them, they're not. And when word gets back to Port-au-Prince or anywhere else, Mexico City, down into like Tegucigalpa and Guatemala City and, and a lot of these other you know, San Salvador, people aren't stupid. If the word comes back, they're letting us in and letting us stay. People can talk to their blue in the face saying the opposite. The old adage, actions speak louder than words. Yeah. And the results speak very loudly and very clearly. The AP reports accounts of wide scale releases observed at the Del Rio bus station by journalists, are at odds with statements made a day earlier by Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, who promised swift action. We played you that soundbite. That's their polite journo speak for their lying. Statements are at odds. The statements are at odds. The comments have now been undermined. Undercut. They're lying. That's the point. Meanwhile, and I think this is very interesting, we are flying people. We are busing people out from Del Rio, Texas. We are flying them to other places. They are being released and being told, yes, please report. Now, here's what we hear from sort of the open borders crowd, and many of them would deny, oh, we're not open borders. But you have to look at the results and say, is this an approximation of open borders? I would say yes. I'm not a hardcore hawk on immigration, but I mean, my goodness, this is completely unacceptable and unsustainable. What they'll say, though, on the other side is, oh, 
Because it's always about compassion. It's always about heartstrings. It's always, oh, but think about these are people who need safe passage to a safe country. Right? These are people who need refugee status. Because look at the horrible things that have happened and, and the natural disasters in Haiti and the political unrest and the violence. These are refugees. And it is cruel of us to turn away, right? Because they... This is how it works. They take advantage, I'm talking broadly here, of a lot of illegal immigrants and cartels and coyotes. They take advantage of our asylum and refugee laws where they all claim this, many of them do, even though they don't qualify. And they just hope that even though they don't qualify under these relatively strict definitions, they're going to be allowed into the country anyway. And of course, it's all magnified. And intensified because the Biden team decided to scrap a bunch of stuff that was working under President Trump. I'm telling you right now, there are bona fide refugees who need help and bona fide political persecution victims who need asylum. But the large majority of these hundreds of thousands of people coming to the U.S., They're just illegal immigrants. They don't have a right to be here. We cannot take them. We cannot go this route. It doesn't work. It will never work. But I want to rebut that point real quick about asylum, about refugees. Mexico's foreign secretary said yesterday he spoke with Anthony Blinken, our secretary of state, about the situation specifically of these Haitians. And this Mexican official said most of the Haitians already have refugee status in Chile or Brazil. And they weren't seeking it in Mexico. Quote, what they're asking for is to be allowed to pass freely through Mexico to the United States. It's not about escaping a terrible situation in Haiti and getting refugee status because according to the Mexican government, most of these Haitian illegal immigrants already have that status. They've been granted it by South American governments. They're not asking for refugee status in Mexico to be safe from whatever the travails would be in Haiti. They just, they want to come to the United States. That's the bottom line. And if we let them in and let them stay for an indeterminate period of time while our people are totally overwhelmed and the system is crushed, that is tantamount to open borders. And this crisis will get worse because people will respond to incentives. So there you heard it, the Mayorkas comment and the reality. And the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, last seen flipping a coin at a football game while fully masked outdoors, thank God, at the 50-yard line. She emerged, remember, she's the person in charge of the border, supposedly. And she's focused on what? The whips. The whip allegation. That isn't even true. She emerged... To give a statement on that, cut one. What I saw depicted about um, those individuals on horseback treating human beings the way they were is horrible. And um, I fully support what is happening right now, which is a thorough investigation into exactly what is going on there. Um, But human beings should never be treated that way. And I'm deeply troubled about it. And I'll also be talking with Secretary of my office today about it. Deeply troubled. What way, by the way, is she talking about? What was so horrifying to her? Does she believe that people were whipped? I would love a follow-up. Does she answer any questions ever? 
Where does this woman go? Where does she spend her days? And if she's mad about what's happening at the border, wait till she finds out who's in charge of the border. If I recall correctly, it's her. Am I wrong? Was that was she relieved of that duty by the president? I didn't see that. We could ask him if he takes questions, which he doesn't. Jen Psaki did take some questions today at the White House, including one from our colleague Peter Ducey. This was interesting. You will hear that audio as soon as we come back. It's The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fox Nation presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. One of the few people in the White House who takes questions at all these days is the woman whose job it is to take questions, Jen Psaki. At the briefing today, she was queried by a number of different reporters, including our colleague, Peter Ducey, who had a curiosity. I thought this was interesting. Cut 37. Has President Biden ever been to the southern border? In his life? Yes. I will have to get look back in my history books and check the we, times he's been to the southern we border. We have been looking all morning, and we cannot find any record of him visiting the border as president, vice president, senator, or even as a concerned citizen. Why would that be? I can check and see when the last time or when he may have been. But but tell me more about why you're asking. Because this is a president who makes a point when there are disasters in this country, like a wildfire or a hurricane, to go and see for himself firsthand what the needs are of the local community so that he can have an informed POV to make policy. Why doesn't he do that? Uh, Why doesn't he go down to Del Rio, Texas and see what's going on? Good questions. I think the answer is he doesn't want to see. He doesn't want to know. He's fine with the crisis because he's responsible for it. And seeing firsthand the consequences might make it hard to maintain the charade. That's why we got the fake dog and pony show from Kamala Harris when she went down there. I think that's the answer. Good question, though, from Peter Ducey. By the way, we have new audio coming in. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Out from Maxine Waters, Congresswoman from California, talking about the whipping, that fake story. It is an absolutely deranged comment. I cannot believe she said it. Maybe I can. Jesse Waters on Maxine Waters, straight ahead. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. 
Back on the Guy Benson Show from New York. I'm here for Gutfeld tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern time on Fox News Channel. So tune in to that. Coming up here in just about an hour and a half on Fox News is The Five. One of the co-hosts is with me here in studio. Jesse Waters, also host of Waters World. You can check out his best-selling book, How I Saved the World. Jesse, great to see you face-to-face. Good to see you, too. I wish you were wearing a mask, though, Guy. I mean, that's... Are you uncomfortable? I'm very, very uncomfortable. I'm so sorry. Uh, But my house, my rules. And I'm feeling the spirit, okay? (laughs) Is it your house, though? Because I had to remove a bunch of Killmead books that were propped up It's my temporary house. Let's put it that way. (laughs) We are just getting this new audio. So members of the Congressional Black Caucus gathered outside the Capitol. There's some rain. You can hear it in the soundbite. They're reacting to this story, which is fake news, about... Haitian illegal immigrants being whipped by Border Patrol agents. I think that lie is bad enough. Bless her heart, Maxine Waters decided to go nuclear on it and take it to the next level. Yes, she went here. Cut 39. What we witness takes us back hundreds of years. What we witness was worse than what we witnessed in slavery. Cowboys with their reins again, whipping... Black people, patients, into the water where they're scrambling and falling down. And all they're trying to do is escape from violence in their country. Maxine Waters, if you couldn't hear it clearly there, asserted that the images at the border from this week of the horses and the reins is worse than what we saw in slavery. Jesse. Maxine, no relation to me at all. I don't even think she knows what she's talking about. Do you know if she knows if this was a hoax? Because there's a photo and it's clear it's a hoax. But she's selling this like no one else realizes that it's a hoax. It's been proven to be a hoax for three days now. And three days later, she still trots it out like it's real. This is all they have, guy. This is like a— Like you think you might maybe— Think to say that and then dial it back because – No, you don't dial it back. They're emboldened. They got away with so much. Trump's a traitor. Trump's Russian. That worked for years. Smollett, they go all in on this stuff. The difference now is that we know they lie and the internet can solve a crime. In 24 minutes, you can tell this was a hoax. Worse but than But they slavery. still push it and they believe that this lie, this hoax – will actually persuade people because no one's paying attention. Maybe her constituents aren't paying attention. They'll see this. The media might buy into it. Half the media still buys it. Right. They're actually opening an investigation, Saki said today, on this so-called whip. There's no whip. It's a rain guy. And I've never even been on a horse. I was on a horse once for a shoot for Waters World in Texas. I almost got thrown off, cried like a woman. And even I know it's a rain guy. And, I, I, you know, I go out west, I go to Aspen, okay? That's about as close as I get to horses. That sounds pretty appealing to me. Yes. Right? It's like, oh, look, there's some horses over there. Yes, I'll have another <laughs> glass of champagne. Thank right. you. I want to play you a soundbite of the vice president, yes. who's the border guru. She emerged from hiding. So you're calling her a guru? Yes. <laughs> she's, she's the border czar, whatever czar. word. She's got in it. charge. She's okay. the expert who's got things right. at hand. She's right? in charge. She's been tasked with this by the president. So, I mean, she's been not 
appearing very often. I think it's fair to say. I don't know if she ever takes questions. When the last time was she took questions? She's been sidelined in a lot of ways, but she decided this was a big moment to reemerge and condemn what happened with the whips and talk about the investigation. We played it earlier. Cut one. What I saw depicted about um, those individuals on horseback treating human beings the way they were is horrible. And um, I fully support what is happening right now, which is a thorough investigation into exactly what is going on there. Um, But human beings should never be treated that way. And I'm deeply troubled about it. And I'll also be talking with Secretary of my office today about it. Okay. So here's what happened. The media created a hoax. And the White House is going along with the media-created hoax instead of trying to solve the crisis that they created. That's right. That's the ruse. And the press falls for it because they want to fall for it. And you have to have guys mounted on horse in that terrain. Remember, it was sloped. There was water. It was rocky. You can't have a dune buggy out there. You can't put a truck out there. Guys can't be on feet. You got to have higher ground and you got to contain the flow of illegal immigrants. And Somehow, if there's no border, this is what they were trained. This is how they were trained. Right. And she's saying, well, what what was happening was horrible. People should never be treated that way. What is what is she? Ta- what, no, what, what they're way? doing is horrible. They created this crisis. There's a shanty town to the tune of what? Fifteen thousand last week, whatever it was. Now it's about down to six because they're letting them all in. They created shanty towns at our border. We have a third world country on our gate Intense. Someone called it a fourth world country. And that's what it is. And it's human suffering and it's sad. But they're the ones that drew the illegals into that situation. All the illegals, every time they're interviewed and Bill Malugin's doing a great job down there for us, Fox News on the border. They all say, yeah, we heard that Biden's letting people in. It's because he is letting people in, guy. He's letting hundreds of thousands of people in. Amnesty, asylum. They get to stay and wait for a hearing. Hearing's never going to happen or they don't show for it. They're in. They're good. And then That's he the whole flies point. them around to Tennessee and Right. It's the incentive Alabama. structure that they have created. And going back to the Maxine Waters clip, because I think I was just sort of so taken aback by the slavery, worse than slavery reference. It's like when Joe Biden was saying, oh, the, the Georgia-Texas law is worse than Jim Crow. It's just the hyperbole is so far off the charts. I almost missed another thing that Maxine Waters said, which these are just people trying to escape the the very dangerous situation in Haiti. The Associated Press story today that we read from concluded and quoted the Mexican foreign minister saying most of these migrants already had asylum and had refugee status in Brazil, in Chile. They just wanted to come to the United States to stay here. I know Jen Psaki says they're just going to stay for a short period of time, so it's fine to not have them vaccinated or, or whatever that crazy answer was. But that actually reminds me of something you were saying in the break. Saki has all these puff pieces and you know, glamorous magazine shoots. And isn't she amazing? She does such a fabulous job. She owns Peter Ducey every day, right? That's what they say on left-wing <laughs> Twitter. You say it's, it's really hard to give credit for someone being amazing at their job when it's just like a softball fest from everyone but Peter every day. Guy, they had, I think from PBS, I don't remember the woman's name in the press today, they were asking and advocating for the White House to let the Haitians in. So you have 90% of the country that wants these people out of there. They want to be fair, obviously, but they want them out. They don't want them letting in. And then you have the media begging Biden to open the border. And Saki's just sitting there, you know, 
was you it, and was I it wouldn't Yamish be... Alcindor? Yes. Okay. I don't know. I didn't want to mispronounce her name. I knew Guy Benson would pronounce her name I correctly. think I, got I didn't her, want to. She's just an activist. She's a. She's an advocate, right? And imagine if they had a slew of dirty dogs like Guy Benson, Waters, Gutfeld, Hannity, just row after row after row in that briefing room. Asking Saki questions, would she be getting glowing puff pieces? She'd probably pee her pants. How would she react? And that's sort of the dynamic that Republican press secretaries deal right. with. But they don't every get puff day. pieces. Well, no, they're terrible. Right. Right. They're awful. Right. And people are saying they should never be hired anywhere ever again because they're aiding and, and abetting. And Jen Saki will be hired by I don't Facebook, Google. Walmart. I think she was at CNN. She go back to CNN. Yeah, they'll, they'll, so all, they'll all they'll all just go back to corporate America and they'll shill for corporate America. It's a revolving door. Meanwhile, I want to play you this soundbite. It's from yesterday. Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of the UK, dear ally of the United States, he was in town visiting our president, and they had a little visit in the Oval Office. Press was there. Boris took some questions. In fact. I guess Biden wasn't excited about this. This was how it sounded. Listen quickly to cut 33. Would it be okay if we just have a couple of, of questions, just a, uh, just a, just a couple uh, of good questions for, for the, for, and I think we're going to be ruthless. So he says, good luck. That's Biden interjecting. Yeah. He doesn't want to take questions. He has not done so in days. And his team was just yelling at the top of their lungs to get everyone out of there before anyone, God forbid, asked the president of the United States any questions. Cut 32, some of the chaos. The efforts uh, of John Kerry have largely failed. I don't think that one is it. Although I really liked hearing that. We can we can come back to it, but you could hear the officials just saying, move on, thank you, get out. And the press secretary had a bunch of journalists at her door yesterday lodging a formal complaint about this saying you got to let us ask questions instead of shouting at us we couldn't even hear what biden was saying the poor press the press created this mess guy we had a president for four years who spoke to the press too much he was raw unfiltered uncut you knew what he was thinking the minute he thought it he was the golden goose they killed him he was giving these guys ratings clicks book deals and they couldn't handle it. They had to get him out because they're all partisan operatives. So they bring in Joe Biden, who's a stiff. They're all bored out of their minds. They're not getting ratings, no book deals. They're not getting clicks. And they're pretending to be upset. They're not pretending to be upset. They like the abuse. Joe Biden's silent. He abuses them, puts them in a corner. He knows they're corrupt. He knows he's got them in their pocket. And it works for another reason, because Joe shot. His handlers know it. They don't want to put him out there. He could barely talk. And the press pretends like, oh, they're so upset. It gives them an excuse to act like they're aggressive. Meanwhile, it's just the Democrats protecting Joe from himself. They're not that upset Joe's not talking to them. What's he going to say that's going so well? No, it hurts the cause. Right. So it was cut 31. This is sort of the gnat sound. Unbalances the the Belfast Good Friday uh, Accords. That's the... uh, So Boris is wrapping up. That's that's the Biden gives the sign. Okay, that's more than enough. So, but, so arguably, our our strongest ally, mm-hmm. um, Prime Minister, Leader, Great Britain, we just cut him off mid sentence. 
Yeah, Biden, just cut them off. Biden sort of does like the uh, like, like a, the, an unelected let's, let's handler for the White House communication shop. Just cut off the Prime Minister of Great Britain mid sentence in order in to the White House. prevent a question accidentally from getting through and sneaking through to the President of the right. United States, who hasn't taken questions at this point in days. That's where we are right now. It That's is. That's how desperate it is right now. And the press secretary today was asked about this. Her reaction was to effectively throw Boris under the bus. 34. The efforts uh, uh, of John. <laughs> we keep wanting to hear that Your clip. Your producers really want to. I promise you we're going to play that clip later because okay, it's a good <laughs> clip. Um, I think we probably had a reshuffle on our audio list here okay. today. Uh, but she effectively said. We didn't know that Boris was going to take questions. He's a dear friend of ours. Wow. He's a dear friend of the United States. He'll remain that. I'm paraphrasing. But he didn't tell us he was going to take questions. It's like if he had told them that would have been really difficult. They would have had to prepare for hours. Or they might have just said, no, we're not taking questions and nipped it at the bud. But he as a leader decided, let's take a couple questions. And he did. I do want to ask you a very yes. important question, Jesse. Yes. It has nothing to do with the news cycle. Okay. But you invoked the name of our colleague, Bill Malusian, who's been at the border doing yes. very good work. Yesterday here on the show, Jimmy Fallon posited something, and I feel like you can maybe be our first vote on this. Okay. He wants to know, of our correspondents, who has the best hair? And the nominees are. Okay. Peter Ducey, White House correspondent, okay. with that just mane of blonde hair. Okay. Bill Malugin at the border. I mean, the hair barely moves despite all the dire circumstances around him. And honorable mention, very much in the running, our friend Matt Finn, now based out in L.A. To me, this was very hard. I have not cast a vote yet. I would like you to cast your inaugural vote. If you had to say in the hair race, there's a leader in the clubhouse for now, who would it be? I'm going to go Malugin because his hair is performing under very challenging circumstances. It is. Deucey's is sprayed inside the White House. Doesn't move. Malugin's hair, I mean, we have coronavirus droplets moving through it. We have heat over 100 degrees. We have dust. We have particles that we don't even know what type of particles they are. You know what random particles can do to hairspray and hair product as I like to call it. But so I would, I would give, I would give Malugin's hair the vote uh, in my expert opinion right now. That is an in-depth analysis. I could go on. You could. I mean, no <laughs> mention, no mention at all of Matt Finn. I mean, that is a hell You're going to have to show me a picture of Finn's hair. Enviable. Okay. We can maybe do that off the air. I'm just saying if I'm at the <laughs> Southern border and I'm in Malugin's boots, I'm wearing a baseball cap, right? But it would be, I think, a, a disservice to the country for him to cover up that uh, hair. Malugin knows he has good hair. He's he not going to cover it up with That's a true. cap That's true. It's an guy. asset. Yeah. It's an asset. No, you're absolutely right. So we'll probably do a, maybe a Twitter poll on that. I might put this out. Guy P. Benson later. We'll have photos. Uh, this is, I think, a very important. We have to have some fun here because there's so much depressing and infuriating <laughs> stuff. So I'm like, let's end the interview with Waters today fun. about hair. I'm, I'm happy to be that guy. For you. I, I do appreciate that. And you're plus, welcome. you've got a skedaddle because you're, what, T-minus 70 minutes till the 5? Yes. So we'll be watching yes. after people finish the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. They have <laughs> it all deal. on DVR. It's how it works. Jesse Waters, Thank great you, to see you. You too. And we'll be right back. Guy Benson. We'll be right back. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I will never apologize for standing up for an LGDP, uh, LGT, LBT, LGBTQ2 plus uh, <laughs> kids' rights to not have to undergo conversion therapy. Easy for you to say. That's the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. As he was butchering LGBTQ, he turned bright red, his face did, which is better than black with his blackface issue, right? I'd rather it be red than black again, sir. But he called snap elections up in Canada. He thought that he could really grow his government to a majority instead of this minority government, and that did not happen. He clung to power, but his party won, the liberals, and he, as a left-wing guy, will remain prime minister. I just want to note one thing about the Canadian elections, which we didn't really cover very closely. In fact, I don't think I've mentioned until until right now, now that it's over. But if you look at the actual vote totals, and it was a status quo election. A lot of people are saying this was such a waste of time and money. He shouldn't have done this. It was a gambit that failed. The conservatives won more votes. They won a higher percentage of the vote than the liberals did. The conservatives up in Canada won 33.8% of the national vote. The liberals won 32.4%. So the conservatives had a higher vote percentage, but the liberals, it translated into 158 seats in their parliament for the left-wing party, only 119 seats for the conservatives, despite winning a higher percentage of the votes. There's a right-wing party there called the People's Party that won 5% of the popular vote and ended up with zero seats, whereas the Green Party, very left-wing, had a couple of seats winning half, less than half the number or percentage of votes as the right-wing party did. Why do I bring this up at all? Because in our system here in the United States, with the Electoral College and gerrymandering, when the left loses control, they always blame our institutions and our system. And parliamentary systems are supposed to be so much better. Well, the conservatives won the highest percentage of the vote and they lost the election. Is that a broken system too? That's the Democratic talking point here in the USA. Maybe look up north and answer those questions. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A new hour here on the Guy Benson Show, our middle of three hours. Thanks for tuning in. Coming to you live from New York City. In here for Gutfeld later tonight on Fox News Channel. Still to come on the program, Chad Pergram on whether Democrats are in real trouble on Capitol Hill with these spending bills. They are fighting each other hard. Congressman Tony Gonzalez from Texas about the situation on the border. He's upcoming. We'll also talk with Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. Fox News alert. The Dow had a good day, up 338 points, closing at 34,258. 
Well, yesterday in our interview with Dr. Mark Siegel, and if you want to go back and listen to that, you can get the free podcast. I recommend GuyBensonShow.com. It's our website, one-stop shop. One of the questions I asked Dr. Siegel here was about a statement and an assertion made by Dr. Anthony Fauci earlier this month. He was giving a lecture remotely to a group in the UK about COVID. And the real nut of the soundbite of what he said was this in Cut 27. We played a longer version for Dr. Siegel, but here's what Fauci said. We have lost more children from SARS-CoV-2 than we ever lose for influenza. And we vaccinate children against influenza. He's saying more kids have died of COVID-19 than ever die from the flu. And that is just inaccurate. And I made this point with Dr. Siegel. He reacted to the soundbite. I had not seen the video of this anywhere. I had seen the quote written down that Fauci had said this, but producer Christine found this lecture and scrolled through like an hour of video to pull this soundbite. And so I had the video, so I tweeted it. And I did a short thread on Twitter, at Guy P. Benson. This was yesterday, yesterday evening, since we had addressed it on the show, and I hadn't seen the video anywhere. Well, it went pretty viral. That tweet, just the one with the video in it, is up to almost 900,000 impressions. It got widely shared. And here's what I wrote, and I want to address it here because a lot of people ended up seeing this tweet, and I think it's actually a really important point. I wrote, here's Fauci recently claiming that we've lost more children from COVID than we ever lose from the flu. This isn't true. In the next tweet, see CDC estimates of flu deaths among children during recent flu seasons. And then I include a screenshot of a chart. In four of the last eight flu seasons, CDC estimates show more pediatric deaths from the flu than we've seen among kids with COVID throughout the entire year and a half long pandemic. And I actually rattled some of them off yesterday in the interview with Dr. Siegel. For example, in the 2013, like so the 2012-2013 flu season, CDC estimated that more than 1,100 kids died of the flu that year. And the number total is just over 400 who've died from COVID or with COVID in 18 or 19 months in the United States. Right, So if you do that sort of on an annual basis, it's somewhere around 300-ish. So you had 1,100 from the flu, kids died from the flu in 2012-2013, more than 800 in 2014-2015, almost 650 in 2017 and 2018, and approaching 500 in 2018 and 2019. That's just four of the last eight flu seasons where more kids died from the flu, according to CDC, so infants to age 17 in the whole country. Comparing that then to the last 18 months of COVID, where the official number is 439 pediatric deaths from COVID in the United States. Now, I think it's important to say two things. Number one, every single death, especially of a child, is a tragedy, and we never want to downplay those individual tragedies and the heartbreak of those families when we're talking big picture. But you also do have to zoom out 
when you're talking about a serious conversation around policy vis-a-vis children and these ailments. And that's the point that I made later in this Twitter thread. I wrote, deaths among kids are exceedingly rare from both COVID and the flu, thankfully. And that's another point that I think needs to be underlined. Thank God these illnesses do not kill children on a large scale at all. Thank God. They are very exceptionally rare. But Fauci's claim is not accurate. Flu has been deadlier for kids than COVID in recent years, yet we don't turn those kids' lives upside down during flu seasons. Even though in a number of these years, flu is deadlier to children than COVID-19. Think about the number of changes and disruptions that we have imposed and inflicted on children for the last year and a half on COVID. And compare that to what we do in a normal flu season, which is, on average, less deadly to that age group than COVID has been. Does that make sense? That is a completely reasonable question to ask. So I concluded, we need serious, fact-based policies on COVID and kids. That's already hard enough amid a flood of overwrought hysteria and misinformation. It's especially unhelpful when the most famous doctor in America makes incorrect claims that overstate a blessedly and vanishingly rare threat to children. Now, this was shared far and wide. I saw a retweet from Brett Baer. Dr. Nicole Sapphire amplified it, and she's going to be on the show, I think, tomorrow. We're efforting for her to react to this and a few other things. But one of the pushbacks that I got, right, one of the uh, criticisms that I got from the Fauci brigade, because he has some very passionate defenders and supporters. So they were mad that I was pointing out that he said something demonstrably false about kids, covid flu, and death. And again, if he's out there giving misinformation, misleading, hysteria-stoking information about children and COVID, it makes it basically impossible to have a rational conversation about any of it. That's part of the problem here. That's why I decided to highlight this again, not just on the air, but on social media and again here today. But what some of his defenders said, and my critics said was, well, There are two different columns in this chart, and you're only comparing the estimated COVID deaths compared to confirmed flu deaths. And look, we're getting a little bit in the weeds here, but let me try to explain this as succinctly as I can. The CDC on its own website explains why estimated flu deaths is the best metric, the most explanatory and comprehensive metric on measuring flu deaths in a given flu season. So they themselves, the CDC and a lot of the Fauci people are all on board for the CDC, right? That's the gold standard. They themselves at the CDC said, our estimates on flu deaths are the best measure of these types of deaths. Whereas COVID deaths, there's no guessing game here, right? We don't test people for the flu, During a a normal flu season, we don't have, you know, testing regimes and schools and all this stuff. We do have that for COVID. So the numbers on COVID, the, the real numbers and the estimated numbers are one and the same because they test every single person for COVID. If someone died in a hospital, for example, even before we had the vaccine, 
they would test that person to determine whether or not they had COVID in their system. So those numbers are actually pretty reliable. So 439 children dying with COVID, I think is quite reliable as a matter of fact, and is therefore absolutely fair to juxtapose and compare with the flu numbers, the gold standard numbers according to the CDC. The only thing I would say actually cuts even further in my favor, the point that I'm trying to make, and cuts further against Dr. Fauci's point, which is, and we talked about this before with the hospitalization numbers, and the UK did a a similar analysis over there with their child death numbers. When you actually examine whether these kids are hospitalized with or died with COVID, that is different than dying of COVID, where COVID caused the hospitalization in the children or caused the death in the children. That actual number is significantly lower. So Fauci's point is even more wrong in light of that reality. We'll be right back. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. I'm Guy Benson here on The Guy Benson Show. Earlier in the week, we had Brett Bayer in studio, our brand new studio in Washington, D.C., and he and I were chatting about really how it feels like maybe for the first time the Democratic program on Capitol Hill and the Biden agenda might be in some serious peril, not just squabbling, not just threats, but actual danger of failing partially or totally. What's the latest update? Because there are a lot of moving parts. There's no one better to answer that question than Chad Pergram, who joins us now from Capitol Hill. Chad, of course, Fox News Channel congressional correspondent and expert on all things Congress. Chad, good to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, so a bunch of important, influential Democrats and stakeholders within certain camps inside the Democratic tent are meeting at the White House today. They are trying to get on the same page, which has proven very difficult for the Democrats on a host of issues in recent days. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I can count the debt ceiling, government funding, reconciliation, and infrastructure, all unresolved at this point, all with some drama about whip counts and the math, as you always talk about, Chad. Where do things stand right now? And you left out uh, dealing with Afghan refugees, money uh, that they want to put in the bill to fund the government. That's an issue as well. And also, uh, you know, money for Hurricane Ida disaster relief. You're right. There is a big, big problem here. And how Democrats are going to resolve this is unclear. In fact, I talked to one senior Democratic source who said that this is the most perilous situation they think they have seen House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in. Since the TARP vote failed in September of 2008, that was the Troubled Assets uh, Rescue Program uh, during the financial crisis in 2008. And and part of it, you know, you allude to what I always say about the math. Okay, she only has a a three-vote radius in the House. There are four votes in the Senate. And so you have moderate Democrats who are saying, we need need this vote on infrastructure first, and we need a smaller overall reconciliation bill, the $3.5 trillion. And you have the liberals saying, no, 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 we want the bigger bill. That's the first thing. And if you just commit to go ahead with the vote on the infrastructure bill, we might not uh, you know, be there to help. We don't like that bill. We view that as conservative. In fact, Pramila Jayapal, the Democratic congresswoman from Washington state who chairs the Progressive Caucus, the liberals in the House of Representatives, she said that, that the members who negotiated that bill and support that bill, she said that they aren't 
moderate or centrist Democrats. They are conservatives, is what she said. Now, let me go over to the debt ceiling. Uh, Democrats. Well, hang, hang on. Before we go sure. to the, before we go to the debt ceiling, the progressives, as I'm reading it, the progressives are now making threats to tank the bipartisan infrastructure bill if the sequencing and the dollar amounts aren't what they want to see. I'm also reading kind of maybe not threats, but warnings from some of the more centrist members saying if Pelosi walks away from the infrastructure bill and the timing that they've been promised, that would be a grave breach of trust between those members and leadership and things could really spiral. Are these threats that you're seeing, are they set in stone or is there still some wiggle room for folks to blink? Nothing is set in stone. I would say that the progressives probably have a little more wiggle room at this stage, Uh, although it is assumed that the moderate Democrats, uh, you know, they can't spend so much. And really, it comes down to Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are going to the White House, you know, today. That's that's something that's big, along with a lot of other Democrats from both the House and the Senate. Uh, So the the progressives say, all right, we need to stay at three five. You have people like Manchin and Sinema who won't give you an, an exact number. Oh, they'll say $1.52 trillion or something like that, but, but nobody really knows exactly where they stand. So that's a problem until we actually know where they are. And then you can come back and maybe moderate that bill in the House of Representatives. Now, uh, on the infrastructure part, and this is where the calculus starts to get very, very funky. Uh, you know, you could have Republicans in the House vote for the infrastructure bill. Although uh, we are told that Kevin McCarthy, uh, you know, the Republican leader in the House of Representatives, um, he is advocating a no vote among his members. Now, some members will say, you know, really take a walk. (laughs) This is a problem. I'm for this. This really works well in my district. But, you know, they need to have that vote mixture right between Democrats and Republicans. Does Nancy Pelosi hold firm to having this vote on the 27th of September uh, on infrastructure, or does that peel off a day or two? And that's where, you know, if, if you lose that commitment with the moderates, then that relationship, as you suggest, between Pelosi and the moderates becomes so toxified, there's nothing there. And, and, and when the progressives come in and say, oh, you know, we have half of our caucus, meaning the number I've heard is about 45 out of 96 progressives who say, you know, you, you, you can't just commit to voting for the infrastructure bill and not give us $3.5 trillion. That number is really about 15 or 16. But that's plenty to tank it. But that is. Right. If they want to tank it, they could. So I guess here's one question, and I texted you this yesterday. We had a little bit of a back and forth offline, and I think it's actually useful to talk about it here on the air as well. I know that Speaker Pelosi hates to go to the floor and lose. She almost never does it. She's sort of famous for this. If she's bringing a vote to the floor, it's because she has the votes. She's ruthless and effective as a vote counter. However... If she finds herself in such a predicament where the moderates are squawking and the progressives are threatening and everyone's sort of posturing and saying, we're going to make sure that this whole enterprise fails if we don't get our way, could she potentially say, okay, let's demonstrate that and have votes knowing or at least suspecting that they will fail, which would be embarrassments to the entire party, and maybe put the fear of God into her caucus across the board saying, if we don't come together and figure something out as a compromise, the whole thing goes down in flames, and the test votes, if you will, just prove that. Could that be a tactic that she could employ here and then come back with another vote once she scares her people straight, so to speak? Absolutely. And that's where I think that the TARP 
analogy is appropriate because that's probably one of the best examples of Pelosi going to the floor and losing. Now, that was supposed to be a bipartisan vote. It, they, it wasn't as bipartisan as everybody had wanted. So that's an issue there. Uh, again, you know, we're into tough turf. Um, we don't know if Pelosi would do that if she needs to demonstrate something that occurred uh, to many of us here on Capitol Hill and why it is hard to divine out of this where this is going to go is that no one knows exactly where the true levers of power lie in this just yet. Nobody knows which side has the most leverage. That's the problem. Because it hasn't really been demonstrated yet. And then, of course, you've got all this other ancillary but also important conversation about funding the government, not having a partial shutdown, the debt ceiling, all of it. And when you start to compute those numbers into your math machine, it is very clear that the situation is precarious. It is extremely fluid. And I, again, I'm not predicting that the whole thing is going to collapse under its own weight. But for the first time this week, I feel like that might actually be a viable possibility. And I think it's that fear that leadership might ultimately try to lean on on the Democratic side to get their people in line. But we don't know if they're going to be capable of that. We'll be watching very closely, along with Chad Program, who watches it as closely as anyone. Fox News Channel congressional correspondent with us from Capitol Hill today. Chad, we always appreciate it. Thank you. It's The Guy Benson Show, back after this. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Halfway through the week, halfway through the show here on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast. We welcome back to the program now Congressman Tony Gonzalez, Republican of Texas, the 23rd Congressional District. He was a career cryptologist in the U.S. Navy, multiple deployments around the world, including to the Middle East. And he represents one of the largest border districts in the United States. And Congressman, it is good to have you back here. Thank you. Hey, Guy. Thanks for having me back on. Well, I see that you're making some headlines today based on an interview that you gave earlier about this controversy, which I put in air quotes, about border agents on horseback supposedly whipping illegal immigrants who are from Haiti. It seems like that narrative that exploded earlier in the week has been disproven by the actual video of what happened. No one was being whipped. There were no whips. There were reins to control the horses. But now you're being attacked for basically defending the agents for doing their jobs. What can you tell us about what you know? Because it seems like a lot of folks who had no interest in the border and this crisis for months on end now have a lot of interest so long as it gives them an opportunity to pile on the enforcement side. Yeah, you know, I've I've never shied away from talking about the facts and the issues that are important. And, uh, you know, there's some risk in that. You know, when a prime example, like I went on CNN and and I had the the conversation with it and and I was very clear, like, look, I'm completely against any mistreatment of anybody to include migrants. I think I think we all should feel that way. But, you know, this this um, this kind of image that Border Patrol agents uh, demonizing Border Patrol agents, I'm not going to accept that in any form or fashion. 
Right. And, uh, you know, and I spoke with the with the chief of Border Patrol right before uh, that that interview. And I speak with him on a daily basis, you know, kind of getting ground truth because you hear a lot of rumors and whatnot, getting ground truth. And, and he assured me that that's not the conduct of, uh, of the Border Patrol agents and that anything like that of that nature would be under investigation. And, and they, they'd, they'd work through that. Bottom line is the Border Patrol agents, what, what I said was I said they're doing God's work, keeping our borders safe. And you know what? They are doing God's work, keeping our borders safe. And I am grateful for everything that they're doing. The last thing any of us should want is another 9-11 type event to occur. And the only way that's going to stop is if we have Border Patrol agents guarding our border. Not just law enforcement, intelligence community. There's a lot of people involved in that. But just to put a period on this paragraph some people are twisting your words to say that whipping Haitian illegal immigrants is God's work. And that's not at all what you said. And I'll just repeat, there were no whips and there was no whipping. And it's just sort of amazing how vast and how wide a lie can get before the pushback starts to even make a dent. And I'm not even sure if it's making much of a dent because now you have high level U.S. officials all the way up to the White House talking about investigations and how troubled and horrified they are by something that by all accounts that I can actually tell from video and people who were there never happened. It just seems like we're in this alternate universe. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. And and what the other part of it, too, is. Uh, look, more eyeballs are on the situation, and, and, and good for that. You know, look at the situation and see the chaos that is happening in Del Rio, the community that is just sucked up into this. You know, this morning, uh, I, called for, uh, I called for President Biden to issue a, a, uh, a national emergency, because that's where we're at. You know, this isn't, of, oh, my goodness, things are, have gotten a little out of control. No, we're well past a breaking point. When you have 15,000 migrants under a bridge, yeah. I mean, nobody would want those kind of conditions. Well, and here's the other thing, Congressman, and I'd love for you to shed some light on this. There are rumors and reports that there are thousands of additional immigrants on their way, so the numbers could, in fact, swell in Del Rio and elsewhere, What we've heard from the Biden administration, including from the DHS secretary, is, again, they're trying to talk tough, which is hard to do because of all their lack of tough talk. And obviously their policies are incongruous with that. But they're saying, if you come here, here's our message. You can't do it. You're going to be sent back. And they've been whispering and telling reporters, we're sending all these Haitians back. You know, we we can't we can't let this stand. But then the Associated Press reports today and other news organizations that indeed many of these illegal immigrants from this particular group are being released into the United States, which is not what the Biden team has been saying for public consumption. That seems like another disconnect and another blow to credibility. That's right. You know, it, these are the facts, Guy. And and look, I am on the border literally every single week. I was in Del Rio. I was the first member of Congress in Del Rio on Thursday of last week. I'm in constant contact with everybody in, in all forms of this situation. The facts are this. Uh, they are, there have been some um, repatriation flights back to country of origin that have resulted in a few hundred migrants being returned to Haiti in particular, mostly single adult males. But the vast majority, I'm talking thousands of migrants have been processed 
and either being given a, a return, uh, a, a notice to return or a notice to appear. Bottom line is they are being released into the country. And this, this is no different than what has been occurring. Right. The only thing different in this entire situation is the Biden administration has honestly just started these repatriation flights. There haven't been many of them, but they just started those. So for them to kind of create this picture as if everybody's getting deported and, and the border isn't open is the furthest thing from the truth. Because what happens is after, after people get processed and are going, hey, you know, either you get a court date or sometimes you don't even get a court date. Guess what? They're letting their friends and family know that the border is wide open. Words, you can say it all day long. Exactly. The border is closed actions speak louder than words. Well, and that's the thing. If you're going to come out and say, you can't stay here, we're sending you back, and then the word trickles down, not from a soundbite at a microphone, but hey, they might be saying that, but thousands of us have gotten into the United States and we've been able to stay, that very much sinks in. That takes root, and guess what it does? It intensifies that magnet. It incentivizes additional illegal immigration, which is precisely the problem of this entire border crisis from start to finish under President Biden. Last question for you, Congressman. You're a Republican member of Congress, and so perhaps some listeners are saying, well, of course the Republicans are making hay out of this because Biden's president now, and maybe the Democrats are sort of a little bit quiet compared to the way that they were under President Trump, but it's just more partisan squabbling. That isn't really applicable to this situation, is it? Because I've seen Democratic colleagues of yours, Henry Cuellar, for example, he's been outspoken, Democratic mayors at the border. At some point, they shed their partisanship because the crisis is so acute and obvious and undeniable that it can't be seen at the ground level through a partisan lens. No, that's that's exactly right. Look, in my district, which is very much a 50-50 district, we have had enough. Uh, And I would argue people in, in South Texas... Texas throughout have had enough, you know, whether you're Democrat, whether you're Republican, whether you voted or not, uh, like folks are just tired of the, their, their world being turned upside down. You know, there's, there's also, you know, there's allegations of, uh, of abuse uh, to some of these migrants in, in some of the, uh, the HHS facilities that needs to be investigated. Like th- these should not be partisan issues. You know, there's nothing partisan about wanting to protect innocent children. And, and oh, by the way, you know, I dropped a piece of legislation months ago, over six months ago, with Senator Cornyn, Senator Sinema, a Democrat from Arizona, Congressman Cuellar, a Democrat from, from Laredo, two Republicans, two Democrats. And one thing that this piece of legislation does, it tracks the children that have been released by HHS to ensure there is no abuse. I mean, there, there should be nothing partisan about wanting to protect innocent people. Well, and we know, Congressman, and we know that the Biden administration has lost track of thousands of these kids. And I'm sure many of them are fine, but some of them almost certainly are not, which is extremely disturbing. And to me, one of the most important ways to protect those innocent children that you just described is to stop at the federal level of the United States government implementing policies that incentivize people to send those children on an extremely dangerous journey to enter the United States illegally, either with family members or through coyotes or even by themselves. It is so incredibly reckless and irresponsible. And if it takes a giant lie about whips to get people talking about the border crisis again, I guess I'll take it. I just wish we didn't have to sift through absolutely baseless propaganda to get to the real issues here. That, that's 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 right. That's right, guy. I mean, we got to keep pushing. We got to keep doing this. 
we got to keep sharing the ground truth of what is happening, whether people want to believe it or, or whether people want to hear it or not. We have to share the ground truth. Yep, there are pictures. It's ugly. Yeah, it, I mean, it seems very ugly. We've been tracking Bill Malugin, our correspondent, who's been down there day in and day out. The images he's sharing across TV speak for themselves. And I think people playing down what's happening are being betrayed. Those talking points are being belied and betrayed by the simple reality, which is captured in photographs and on film each and every day, drone footage, etc., and being shared by people like our guest, Congressman Tony Gonzalez, from Texas's 23rd Congressional District, a Republican down in that border district. Congressman, we appreciate your time. Thanks, Guy. Take care, brother. We will step aside. It's the Guy Benson Show. When we come back, a Woke Tales update here from New York City. I predicted this would happen, and it has arrived. Wait till you hear it next. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Back here on The Guy Benson Show, we called this. We told you this fault line was going to at some point experience some serious identity politics tremors. And I think that this controversy in New York City has to fall under woke tales. Woke tales. Woo. So there is a vaccine mandate in New York City with these vaccine passports. And I just had to do it last night. A few of us went to dinner. We had to show our proof of vaccination to the maitre d' before we could be seated and enjoy our dinner. And I know that when the media portrays unvaccinated Americans, I'll note that nearly three quarters of eligible Americans are vaccinated, including me. I've been a vocal proponent of vaccines. The overwhelming majority of us are vaccinated. Some are not. And the media likes to say, oh, these are red baseball hat wearing MAGA people, a bunch of anti-science hicks. And that's the way that the narrative is presented. But if you look at the data, it's not just a right-wing phenomenon. Anti-vax stuff has a long left-wing history as well. And you also have serious pockets of the population that, for various reasons, are skeptical of or hostile to the vaccine. And I am not at all the first person to note that among that group are, and this is the data, younger people of color, especially younger African-Americans. And here in New York City, where we're broadcasting from today, The number is very high of young black New Yorkers who are not vaccinated. And therefore, by virtue of this New York City vaccine mandate and the passports, they are locked out of a lot of places in the city. They are not legally, if the rules are followed, allowed to be given access to those places. And so one of the questions that some of us have been asking is, what happens if this boils over? Is New York City, with its woke leadership, and their obsession with identity and all of that, are they comfortable with a scenario that could be described as systemic racism, where there's disproportionate impact among people of color? Because that is part of the story. There aren't a ton of Trump supporters all over New York City, right? There are a lot of younger people of color all over New York City. Which brings us to the situation that played out at a pretty famous Italian restaurant in New York City called Carmine's. Where And I saw the headlines about this on Twitter, that three tourists from Texas apparently got into an altercation with a hostess at Carmine's. 
And immediately you had people jump to conclusions. Oh, here are these right wing Texas people visiting our New York City and they're going to start bullying our people. They should go back to Texas, get out of New York. And they're assuming who these people are. Turns out that the tourists from Texas were black women. And the fight was about vaccine passports involving their party, and I guess some of their friends. Then there was like actual pushing and shoving alleged assault. It got ugly. So the women and their attorneys, they're saying that the hostess at this restaurant used a racial slur against them, the N-word. The restaurant insists that absolutely did not happen. Again, people are saying, wow, right? it changes on a dime. Wow, these black women come from Texas, and then some white New Yorker decides to call them the N-word. Well, it also turned out, according to the restaurant, that the employees who were involved in this confrontation, none of them were white. And they're saying it's a lie that any racial slur was uttered by anyone involved. So you've got these warring stories back and forth, and now Black Lives Matter in New York has gotten involved. Black Lives Matter has organized protests and demonstrations outside of this restaurant. And some of the quotes in this story are just amazing. Again, though, I'm kind of surprised it took this long because we predicted this. Shivana Newsom, who is a co-founder of BLM New York City, targeted, I'm reading from National Review, targeted Mayor Bill de Blasio's vaccine mandate specifically in her remarks. She implied that the edict has resulted in repeats of historical episodes where blacks were disenfranchised from society. Quote, Being a doctor does not protect you from anti-blackness. Having a vaccination card does not protect you from discrimination. And here's where she gets into the stats. Again, this is a BLM leader here in New York City. Quote, 72% of black people in this city from ages 18 to 44 are unvaccinated. She's quoting the stats. And she's referring to younger people of color. So she asks, so what's going to stop the Gestapo, I mean the NYPD, from rounding up black people? from snatching them off the train and off the bus. She suggested that if these incidents continue, Black Lives Matter could revolt to exact justice, quote unquote, like it did after George Floyd's death. Quote, we're putting this city on notice that your mandate will not be another racist social distance practice. Black people are not going to stand by or you will see another uprising. That is not a threat. That is a promise. The vaccine passport is not a free passport to racism. Then a co-founder of the Black Women's March, which is, I guess, an offshoot of the Women's March, echoed the charge that these COVID restrictions are being, quote, weaponized against minorities. We're serving notice, she said, on the governor, on the mayor, on the restaurant industry, that we will not allow you to use this pathetic vaccination card and masks and other reasons to be racist, to put us in prison. I mean, these quotes are, they've gone to 11 Right. I had not heard even murmurs about this. It was mostly conservatives saying, hang on, have we thought through the vaccine passport thing fully? How's that going to play out in places like New York City, very blue places run completely by Democrats, where an awful lot of black people, for example, won't be vaccinated, won't have the cards and won't have access under the law? Disproportionate or disparate impact. What's that going to look like? Conservatives asked the question. We didn't really get an answer. And then this explosion because of one incident at Carmine's where you have leaders of the BLM community and world more or less issuing straight up threats about riots and seeking justice, putting the city on notice. And they're straight up calling these vaccination requirements racism, like the equivalent to prison. Of course, they smear in this case, this one woman smearing NYPD as the Gestapo 
but saying this is the city giving them an excuse to snatch us off the streets on our way to work. So I'm sort of wondering in the woke clash, I mean, we've got some major gladiators here in wokeness. We've got the vaccine mandate side and we've got the Black Lives Matter identity politics side and they are now in open battle in New York City. Who's going to win? I don't know. And I wonder if the officials who implemented these rules thought about what they were going to do when inevitably this type of demagoguery resulted and these types of threats resulted. I think the outcome is unclear. I'm not watching with popcorn because it's not a lighthearted subject, but this is a big woke fight and I'm not sure who's going to end up on top. We'll watch it here on The Guy Benson Show. Final hour of the program coming up. U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn, when we return, our final hour coming up. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Happy Hour time here on the Guy Benson Show. We appreciate you listening. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday and online at GuyBensonShow.com. We encourage you to listen live across our affiliates. Many ways to listen listed at GuyBensonShow.com. And then there's the podcast, Growing by Leaps and Bounds. We're grateful to all of you. GuyBensonShow.com for the podcast as well. Or FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. It's free of charge. It's on demand. Just subscribe. Why not? Doesn't cost you a dime. We appreciate it. This hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is delicious and refreshing. We tell you about it every day. They sponsor the happy hour every day. TheLongDrink.com. That's their website. You can find out where they are sold near you. And they have a few different varieties. I like all of them. I have certain preferences. You can also order online if they haven't gotten quite to your neighborhood yet. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. As ever. And with that, let's get to our final guest here on today's show. It's U.S. Senator Marshall Blackburn, Republican of Tennessee. And Senator, good to have you back. Thanks for doing this. It is good to be with you. Thank you. Senator, I want to begin today on the issue of China. It's something that you think about and talk about quite a lot. I want to play for the audience some sound that I'm not sure that they have heard. This did not make a lot of waves. It didn't go far and wide. You may have seen it. Perhaps you haven't. In just the last few days, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was at a forum, and she was asked about the challenge of dealing with China. And she began her answer by going through a litany of problems that are quite familiar, I think, to you and to our audience about China and the CCP and their regime. Let's start with what she said in Cut 28. Listen to this. We've always felt connected uh, to China, Uh, but with their uh, military aggression in the South China Sea with their continuation of genocide with the Uyghurs in uh, Xinjiang uh, province there with their violation of the 
cultural, linguistic, religious uh, priority of, of Tibet uh, with their suppression of democracy in Hong Kong and other parts of China as well. Uh, they're just getting worse in terms of suppression and freedom of speech. I have to say nothing about all the lying when it comes to COVID and the cover-ups, but that was a pretty good litany from Speaker Pelosi about massive flaws. I mean, she threw genocide in there as just you know one of multiple bullet points, but then there was a pivot. There was a comma, but, and here's what she said in Cut 29. We have to work together on climate. Climate is an overriding issue, and China is the leading emitter in the world, U.S. too, developed world too, but we must work together. So we have to have a level of communication on whether it's COVID, whether it's um, terrorism, whether it's climate. We still have to have uh, some communication and um, dialogue with China on that. All right, Senator. So obviously geopolitics can be complex and even people who are your enemies, your adversaries, you have to talk to them. I understand that. But when you listen to that whole list that she checks down on the various really egregious sins of China, including genocide, and then she moves on to say, but the overriding issue is climate and we have to work with them on that. I just wonder how that message would land in Beijing. Probably when the CCP leadership listens to that, they laugh. Because why would we allow them to continue with the genocide? Why would we allow them to do currency manipulation and to lie, cheat, and steal and reverse engineer and uh, not be responsible for COVID, to go in and participate in Afghanistan, and then to hear the Speaker of the House come around and say, oh, but, you know, we have to work with them on climate. We should be sanctioning them. We should we should uh, be dealing with them, sending a message that we're going to be strong against what they are doing on a whole host of issues. And China has said from the get-go, hey, look, we like coal. Uh, if you go to Beijing, you can't see the, the sky any day of the week except Monday mornings when it has cleared up. They burn a lot of coal, and they don't intend to do electric power generation using solar or nuclear or anything else. So they've got those factories going, and they are doing coal, not even clean coal technologies, just coal. You know, I think that's such an important point. It actually leads in perfectly and segues into the next soundbite because the idea that, like, oh, well, they might be destroying democracy in Hong Kong, they might be running roughshod over Tibet. They might be engaged in genocide against ethnic and religious minorities. They might be lying to us about a worldwide pandemic that started in their country. The list, you know, the, the military aggression, they might be doing all of that, but they will play ball with us on climate. I think that just the naivete there is breathtaking because it's become very clear, and it has been for quite some time, the Chinese regime is going to do what is in their own interest, and they don't give a damn about what the world thinks of them on anything, let alone the climate. Which brings me to this. In Cut 33, this was an interview from the UN Secretary General on CNN. He was asked about climate and cooperation with the Chinese and what John Kerry has been up to. And this is a, a pretty 
I would say, candid assessment from the U.N. Secretary General. Listen. The efforts uh, of John Kerry have largely failed because the Chinese have said at a certain moment, well, we cannot have uh, 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 cooperation on climate and on anything else. And on trade and technology, there has not been an effective negotiation. I think we are still on time to do that. So here he says the efforts from John Kerry to elicit the cooperation of China on the climate have largely failed because the Chinese are saying at this time they're not going to cooperate on anything. I mean, what exactly are we doing here if the Chinese are just telling us straight up we're not going to help you on this thing? We're also going to misbehave so egregiously on all these other fronts. And yet you have people like John Kerry pressing forward, Speaker Pelosi saying, yes, there's a lot of bad stuff, but we've got to work with them on climate. I mean, I don't know how much clearer the CCP could be. Well, the CCP feels like they're in charge. I mean, they're look at all of the things they're now in charge of. They're on the Human Rights Council at the UN. Our president goes to the UN, he never mentions China. He never calls them out. You have China saying, we're going to become the largest consumer of coal and electric power generation. We're all about producing products cheaply. That requires requires cheap electricity. We do that better with coal. You have China who is saying we're going to continue to push to try to dominate um, Hong Kong, to dominate Taiwan, to dominate in the South China Sea. We are going to continue to be the aggressor because they know Joe Biden is a weak leader, that he does not have the wherewithal to challenge them. Now, maybe, you know, it's because he and Hunter have been so involved with the Chinese that they feel like they can't go against them because the Chinese, maybe they're going to rat them out. Maybe it is because they feel like China's already won. Uh, China's intent on global domination. Do they feel like that China needs more running room? Are they ready to practice debt diplomacy? See, the Chinese continue to push for debt diplomacy. Are they going after them for the way they've uh, gone after Afghanistan? The Chinese have gone in to get that direct land route from Beijing to Tehran to uh, go in and scoop up all of these lithium mines and rare earth minerals. And they do this. This is a strategy that they have globally. And if the West is asleep at the switch, they are going to come to rue that day because the Chinese communists do not have our values or interests at heart. I don't know how else to put it. Senator, I want to ask you about another issue on foreign policy. The Republican Party, and I know that you're very much on board with this, uh, stalwart defenders and friends of the state of Israel, the lone Jewish state in the world, are great allies in a very difficult neighborhood. The Democratic Party is increasingly divided. There's a real schism on Israel. And we saw that play out just this week among House Democrats, where they're trying to debate various provisions to fund the government and raise the debt ceiling. And a group of progressives said, we are not going to vote for what the leadership wants us to unless a $1 billion replenishment fund for the Iron Dome protective barrier, if you will, that Israel uses to protect its innocent civilians from rocket attacks from Hamas and Hezbollah. We had allocated, we were going to allocate a billion dollars to our friends in Israel 
to basically re-up Iron Dome because they had to deploy a lot of countermeasures during recent conflicts. And this group of Democrats in the House succeeded in basically saying, no, we're going to flex our muscle. We're going to use our leverage and you better strip that out or we're not going to vote for it. This is a life-saving, civilian-protecting, exclusively defensive tool that our friends use. And apparently that's uh, not acceptable to the Rashida Tlaibs and Ilhan Omos of the world. And leadership and Speaker Pelosi had to basically buckle and say, "Okay, we'll try to put it somewhere else. But in order to get the progressive votes, they had to betray our friends in Israel. What's your reaction to that development, Senator? It is sickening to me that you have the squad in these leftist, socialistic type leanings, this Islamist bent. And, I mean, look at what happened in Afghanistan. Did they go out and say, protect the women and girls? Have they spoken out on any of that? Uh, Girls not being able to go back to school in Afghanistan? No, they have not. They're not calling them into account. And for them to turn their back, the House, the Democrat-led House, turned their back on Israel. But over in the Senate, there will be a fight to put that money back in for the Iron Dome. There has always been bipartisan support for that, for the protection of Israel. But it shows you how far left the House is moving and who's really in charge over in the House. This is the squad. This is more of their push. And as I said, we go through all of this with Afghanistan, and you never hear them say one word about helping to get these women and children out of Afghanistan and out of harm's way. Senator Blackburn, last question here on the home front at our southern border. We've seen the images now day after day in Del Rio, Texas, but this has been a massive widespread problem across the border for months. The August numbers just about as bad as the July numbers, historic levels of illegal immigration. And now we learn today from the Associated Press that despite the language and the tough talk from Team Biden, about sending some of these illegal immigrants back to Haiti in particular in this this one group, many of those immigrants are in fact being allowed and given access into the United States, which does not align with what the public pronouncements are from Secretary Mayorkas and others. As you see that apparent disconnect confirmed, what's your reaction? It is so disappointing to hear them say one thing and then turn around and do another. And Tennesseans are asking me every day, what is the deal with the southern border, with these migrants? What is the deal with the health issues and not knowing who is coming in in these groups? We've had people from 150 different countries. We've had known terrorists that have been apprehended this year. And people cannot believe that there is no attention to this. And now, when they're saying, oh, we're going to send them home, they've sent back some of the men that had come over, but the families they're allowing to stay and giving them a date to appear at some point 
at some time in the future. And, of course, the cartels are in charge of all of that. They're the ones that have brought people from Haiti to the Mexico-U.S. border and are helping them walk across the border, raise their hands, and say, asylum. And that is what is transpiring on that border. And the Biden administration is doing absolutely nothing about addressing this. I'm so glad that the families of these Border Patrol agents, the families that live in there in Del Rio, Texas, that they are getting on social media, they are getting online, they're telling their stories, they're talking about their fears and their concern, because, guys, what is happening, Joe Biden and his administration are turning every town into a border town, every state into a border state, drugs, sex trafficking, human trafficking, labor gangs, MS-13 gangs. People are seeing this all across the country. They know that 200,000 people a month coming across that border, that it is too much for our communities no, to I mean, It's totally overwhelming, and you're seeing some of these little tent cities and shanty towns, and just the conditions are squalid. And I think the administration would love if everyone just averted their eyes and didn't talk about it. But that's not an option because it's a crisis and it is undiminished. And it's a story that we're covering very closely here on The Guy Benson Show. U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, my guest. Senator, thank you. Good to be with you. Thank you. We'll be right back. You're listening to Guy Benson. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. We have been chronicling over the course of weeks now and bringing to your attention some of the COVID quote-unquote safety policies being enacted not by local governments necessarily, although of course we've covered that as well, and a lot of the hypocrisy most recently in San Francisco, but on college campuses where unsurprisingly it's as insane as anywhere else I've seen in society. And I talked about this arms race of safetyism among these elite institutions. We talked about Amherst College, Duke University, USC, and Georgetown, where kids can't even take their mask off or slip it down for a moment to sip water in class. That is not allowed. These are fully vaccinated campus communities. And these kids are 18 to 22, fully vaccinated 18 to 22-year-olds. It is nuts to have a bunch of other restrictions piled on top of that. It's like you're telling them, you've got to be vaccinated so we can get past the pandemic and we can have a somewhat normal college experience. Then they force them to get vaccinated and they have wild restrictions and mandates anyway. So here's the latest one from Oberlin, no surprise. They've got their OB safe guidelines, is what they call them, OB safe, caring for our community. And as of next week, Masks are going to be required of these college students at Oberlin indoors and outdoors. Quote, masks are required indoors and outdoors. There is, I'll remind you, no science at all supporting outdoor masking. None. Doesn't matter. OB safe. The only time they say that you can take your mask off is when you are in your room alone or with your roommate. That's all. Indoors and outdoors doesn't matter. Vaccinated doesn't matter. You're going to mask up unless you're basically by yourself. Can you take off your mask in the shower? I might need some clarification on that one. 
It's nuts. It's anti-science, but it is reality. And this is spreading on college campuses. Who's surprised? The happy hour continues next. Guy Benson. It's the Guy Benson Show. Happy hour here on this Wednesday. Jesse Waters was my guest earlier in the first hour of the show today. He, of course, is co-host of The Five, host of Waters World. He swung by here in studio in New York, and we touched on Vice President Harris, the border, and much more. Here's a taste of that conversation with Jesse Waters. I want to play (laughs) you a soundbite of the Vice President, who's the border guru. She emerged from hiding. You're calling her a guru. Yes. <laughs> she's, she's the border czar, whatever czar. word. She's got in it. charge. She's okay. the expert who's got things right. at hand. She's right? in charge. She's been tasked with this by the president. So, I mean, she's been not appearing very often. I think it's fair to say. I don't know if she ever takes questions when the last time was she took questions. She's been sidelined in a lot of ways. But she decided this was a big moment to reemerge and condemn what happened with the whips and talk about the investigation. We played it earlier. Cut one. What I saw depicted about um, those individuals on horseback treating human beings the way they were is horrible. And um, I fully support what is happening right now, which is a thorough investigation into exactly what is going on there. Um, But human beings should never be treated that way. And I'm deeply troubled about it. And I'll also be talking with the secretary of my office today about it. Okay. So here's what happened. The media created a hoax and the White House is going along with the media-created hoax instead of trying to solve the crisis that they created. That's right. That's the ruse, and the press falls for it because they want to fall for it. And you have to have guys mounted on horse in that terrain. Remember, it was sloped. There was water. It was rocky. You can't have a dune buggy out there. You can't put a truck out there. Guys can't be on feet. You got to have higher ground and you got to contain the flow of illegal immigrants somehow if there's no border. This is what they were trained. This is how they were trained. And she's saying, well, what what was happening was horrible. People should never be treated that way. What is what is she? What 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 they are doing is horrible. They created this crisis. There's a shanty town to the tune of what? Fifteen thousand last week, whatever it was. Now it's about down to six because they're letting them all in. They created shanty towns at our border. We have a third world country on our gate. Intense. Someone called it a fourth world country. And that's what it is. And it's human suffering and it's sad. But they're the ones that drew the illegals into that situation. All the illegals, every time they're interviewed, and Bill Malugin's doing a great job down there for us, Fox News on the border, they all say, yeah, we heard that Biden's letting people in. It's because he is letting people in, guy. He's letting hundreds of thousands of people in. Amnesty, asylum. They get to stay and wait for a hearing. Hearing's never going to happen or they don't show for it. They're in. They're good. And then That's he the whole flies point. them around to Tennessee and Right. It's the incentive Alabama. structure that they have created. And going back to the Maxine Waters clip, because I, I think I was just sort of so taken aback by the slavery, worse than slavery reference. It's like when Joe Biden was saying, oh, the, the Georgia-Texas laws worse than Jim Crow. It's just the hyperbole is so far off the charts. I almost missed another thing that Maxine Waters said, which these are just people trying to escape the the very dangerous situation in Haiti. The Associated Press story today that we read from concluded and quoted the Mexican foreign minister saying most of these migrants already had asylum and had refugee status in Brazil, in Chile. They just wanted to come to the United States to stay here. I know Jen Psaki says they're just going to stay for a short period of time, so it's fine to not have them vaccinated or, or whatever that crazy answer was. 
But that actually reminds me of something you were saying in the break. Saki has all these puff pieces and you know, glamorous magazine shoots. And isn't she amazing? She does such a fabulous job. She owns Peter Ducey every day, right? That's what they say on left-wing Twitter. <laughs> you say it's, it's really hard to give credit for someone being amazing at their job when it's just like a softball fest from everyone but Peter every day. Guy, they had, I think from PBS, I don't remember the woman's name in the press today. They were asking and advocating for the White House to let the Haitians in. So you have 90% of the country that wants these people out of there. They want to be fair, obviously, but they want them out. They don't want them letting in. And then you have the media begging Biden to open the border. And Saki's just sitting there, you know. Was it, was it Yamish Alcindor? Yes. Okay. I don't know. I didn't want to mispronounce her name. I knew Guy Benson would pronounce her name I correctly. Think I, I didn't want to She's just an butcher activist. It. She's, a, She's an advocate, right. And imagine if they had a slew of dirty dogs like Guy Benson, Waters, Gutfeld, Hannity, just row after row after row in that briefing room asking Saki questions. Would she be getting glowing puff pieces? She'd probably pee her pants. How would she react? And that's sort of the dynamic that Republican press secretaries deal right. with. But they don't get puff day. pieces. Well, no, they're terrible. Right. Right. They're awful. Right. And people are saying they should never be hired anywhere ever again because they're aiding and, and abetting. And Jen Psaki will be hired by, I don't Facebook. Google, Walmart. I think she was at CNN. She'd go back to CNN. Yeah, they'll, they'll, all, they'll, all, they'll all just go back to corporate America and they'll shill for corporate America. It's a revolving door. Meanwhile, I want to play you this soundbite. It's from yesterday. Boris Johnson, the prime minister of the UK, dear ally of the United States. He was in town visiting our president and they had a little visit in the Oval Office. Press was there. Boris took some questions. In fact, I guess Biden wasn't excited about this. <laughs> this was how it sounded. Listen quickly to cut 33. Would it be okay if we just have a couple of, of questions, just a, uh, just a, just a couple uh, of good questions for, for the, for, and I think we're going to be ruthless. So he says, good luck. That's Biden interjecting. Yeah. He doesn't want to take questions. He has not done so in days. And his team was just yelling at the top of their lungs to get everyone out of there before anyone, God forbid, asked the president of the United States any questions. Cut 32, some of the chaos. Unbalanced. The efforts uh, uh, of John Kerry have largely failed. I because don't think that one is it. Although I really liked the, hearing that. The efforts of John we can, we can come back to it, failed. but you could hear the officials just saying, move yes. on, thank you, get out. And the press secretary had a bunch of journalists at her door yesterday lodging a formal complaint about this, Ooh, formal saying, complaint. you oh. got to let us ask questions instead of shouting at us. Oh. We couldn't even hear what Biden was saying. The poor press. The press created this mess, guy. We had a president for four years who spoke to the press too much. He was raw, unfiltered, uncut. You knew what he was thinking the minute he thought it. He was the golden goose. They killed him. He was giving these guys ratings, clicks, book deals, and they couldn't handle it. They had to get him out because they're all partisan operatives. So they bring in Joe Biden, who's a stiff. They're all bored out of their minds. They're not getting ratings, no book deals. They're not getting clicks. And they're pretending to be upset. They're not pretending to be upset. They like the abuse. Joe Biden's silent. He abuses them, puts them in a corner. He knows they're corrupt. He knows he's got them in their pocket. And it works for another reason, because Joe shot. His handlers know it. They don't want to put him out there. He could barely talk. And the press pretends like, oh, they're so upset. It gives them an excuse to act like they're aggressive. Meanwhile, it's just the Democrats protecting Joe from himself. My full interview with Jesse Waters available online. The podcast has the entire show every day free of charge. 
And we had big numbers, gangbusters, in August. So thank you for that. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch, an adventure involving my dog. I'm in New York. I got a text from Adam last night about something my dog had gotten into. And I'm not sure if I'm disgusted or proud. We'll get to that next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. I'll be on Gutfeld tonight on the panel. It is a fun panel tonight. 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Fox News Channel. Looking forward to that as always. So, as I've mentioned, I'm up here in New York, back in D.C. tomorrow. And last night, I was just wrapping up Kennedy's show, I believe it was. And I got a text message from Adam, who had also called me. Because of something that our dog, Roy, had been involved in. So Roy, if you are familiar with any of the photos, or if you're one of the lucky few who have actually met this wonderful creature in person, and I do post a fair amount of content of Roy, he's a Bedlington Terrier, on my Instagram, Guy P. Benson on Instagram and on Twitter, if you're interested in following, looks can be deceiving because he is the sweetest cutest, most gentle little dog. However, his breed, Bedlington Terriers, they are bred to do a job. It's an English breed. And what they are bred to do, it is his instinct, it is his atavistic impulse, it is to hunt down smaller creatures, rodents in particular. That's what they do. So you can imagine Roy will sometimes stand at the back door looking through the glass out at squirrels, occasional bunnies, although the bunnies have stayed clear of the yard because of him for the most part, and he will just be going crazy, just sort of like groaning and moaning and looking back at us like, are you seriously seeing what's happening out here with all these squirrels? And we'll occasionally let him out and he goes flying out and the squirrels always get away because they're very quick. He's fast. They're quicker, and they get up a tree, and then it's over. There's actually a few photos. Remind me to post these, Christine. Roy, the other night, we had, because of some sun glare, we had a curtain closed on our one of our back large doors going to the backyard. So we had it closed. Roy still wanted to be sort of on patrol or keeping watch, so he went under the curtain, and you can just see his little hind leg sticking out. And that's all. And that's his little bump in the curtain. And then we called him, like, Roy, come back. And he turned around, and he looked like a little monk where you could only see his nose sticking out, but his eyes were covered by the dark curtain. It was hilarious. And he, I think, could tell we were laughing at him, and he was sort of getting a little bit bashful and sheepish even because he looks like a little sheep. In any case, this is all a big wind-up to what happened. Adam was outside in the yard, I think, doing some garden-related stuff, and then all of a sudden he heard this high-pitched squealing sound, screeching sound, and he turned, and Roy got a rat. Roy had a rat in his mouth, and he was so proud of himself because this is his job. It's his job. We think Roy got a, a bunny once, We can't 100% confirm that, but here's confirmation. A rat 
was ended by Roy. And Adam just immediately said, no, like, you know, just like, don't do that. But it was too late for the rat. So Adam had to shovel a scoop up the rat and dispose of it. But Roy was pretty pleased because, again, he's the gentlest little guy, but this is what his breed does. In fact, because I immediately started sort of freaking out a little bit, not because I have any affinity for rats, obviously, but think of the germs and all the disgusting stuff on a rat that Roy then the dog. So we were Googling it. Is this okay? And apparently if they're up to date on all their shots or whatever, like it's just a thing. And we were reminded our breeder, actually she's, she's our groomer who grooms Roy. She's also a Bedlington breeder. She is a real character, real character. She and some of the Bedlington community in greater Washington, DC, you don't see a lot of these little mini lambs trotting around, but when you see one, they're pretty distinctive. And so it's a pretty close knit group. Evidently people stay in touch. They get together. And I think on a monthly basis, this group of Bedlingtons in DC, I think they call themselves, the owners call the group, the rat scallions. They bring them at night into Georgetown and they set the dogs loose to rat hunt. And then at the end of the night, they like lay all the dead rats out in front of these dogs to like show what they have achieved and what they've accomplished, their prey. They do it regularly. You're going to you're going to go sign up Roy for that? I don't think we want to be part of the rat scallions. But obviously he would be good at it and he was bred to do it. And I'm totally in favor of depleting the rat population in the city. So in some ways, it's a service. It's kind of a win-win. I just can't really fully get my head around the idea of voluntarily sending cute, cuddly Roy out to murder rats on a regular basis. Although it'd probably be just the time of his life. I have to admit that. Did he he actually kill the rat? Oh, yeah, the rat is no more. I just can't picture little cute Roy doing something like that. I think... Again, I am not an expert on this, but I think between the teeth and then also just the violent shaking of the head, I think that kind of is lights out for a little uh, ratatouille. I just want to say uh, my little Rosie the Mutt doesn't kill rats. Okay, I'm glad you brought up Rosie because I had almost forgotten Rosie's name. Rosie was a frequent topic of conversation on this show during the home stretch, during COVID, because you were not a dog person, then all of a sudden you were convinced you wanted one. Then you got Rosie, and we talked about her all the time, and the journey from Texas up to New Jersey, and the training, and all of it. And then very suspiciously, we didn't hear about or from Rosie ever again. And we know what sometimes happens to your pets, like Carousel the Pony, right, who you rejected and sent off, I think, to... The big old golden corral in the sky, as we like to say. As a young girl, I mean, I think at the drop of a hat as an adult, I shudder. I shudder to think what may have happened to this poor pooch. Is Rosie still with us? Do you have proof of life? Uh, Rosie is still with us. Uh, She is a great little pup. Um, She's probably just a tad bigger than than Roy, which we thought she was going to be huge when she was a little puppy. Uh, she's a great gal. I still enjoy her. Mm. She's still living in the home. Sure, yeah, that's all very convincing. One of my favorite shows is Arrested Development, the comedy. And 
there is one minor plot line where I believe a grandmother has long since passed, but Lucille, the matriarch, wants to lie to her whole family that the grandmother is still alive because she doesn't want them to know that they have inheritance because she has it. So she makes up stories about what grandma's up to. It's like, she went on a cruise and it was just wonderful. She tried pesto for the first time, just making things up. I'm getting major vibes off of you about what a great gal Rosie is. Oh, yeah, great little dog. She sure is enjoying being very much alive and in my house. I, I don't know. I, I'm. She, she loves that game fetch. She, uh-huh. she loves it. Just wags her little tail. Um, she enjoys walks mm-hmm. on a Eating leash. and drinking. You're just saying things associated with dogs at this point. Right? You're just you're just doing a She has a cloud. dog bed that she lays on. Right. She sleeps and other times is awake. Yeah, that's she very much. stares out the window a lot to look at, you know, the passerbyers. That's what I just said about Roy. You know, if, if you're the praying type, maybe just uh, send one upstairs for little Rosie. You just want to hope that she's thriving the way Christine alleges. Producer Christine, who, you know... Just like Roy puts on this very happy, harmless front face. But there's another side. She barks. As Carousel can attest. She barks. I'm sure she does. I'm sure she does. I might need to text your husband about this to get proof of life from an independent, trustworthy third party. Would you, yes or no, last question, if you were in my shoes, would you want Roy to join Rat Scallions? Uh, if I was you, no. But standing here as your producer, I would like to sign you up for that. Right, so I could talk about it? Oh, 100%. I mean, it does sound kind of like an adventure. I'll put it under advisement. That's the new update. It's under advisement here on The Guy Benson Show. Back here tomorrow for the Thursday edition, not from New York, from D.C., if all goes according to plan. But please tune in tonight. Gutfeld, FNC, 11 p.m. Eastern Time. The panel looks fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. And looking forward to being back here on the radio with all of you. For the Thursday edition, have a great night. Listen to be part of the conversation with me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at briankilmeadeshow.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.